to think how excited we get when we hear news like that. And let me tell you something. This Advent journey has been the same. And what I mean by that is Advent is the season that prepares us for tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and the arrival of Jesus Christ. Tonight we lit the Christ candle, and in just a few minutes, this place will be filled with light from the LED candle that you hold um, in your hand. But what's cool about that is, think about this. Just this past week, we had the winter solstice, which is the darkest, shortest day, and longest night in the entire year. Think about this. The darkness, the cold... And then there is the church of Jesus Christ amidst the darkness, lighting candles, almost in defiance to the world's darkness and the death. And we declare that the light has come and the darkness does not overpower the light. And there's been some words that have guided us in this journey. We talked about the word hope, and we defined hope as this, the confident expectation that what God has said will happen. That's what hope is. And then we learned about love. And we said that love is you before me. That the culture has a definition of love, but the Bible comes along and says that God is love. And then we learned about joy. And we said that joy is the supernatural delight that flows from following Jesus. Joy is supernatural. Nobody has joy under their tree this year, okay? Joy is supernatural. Joy only comes from the Lord. And then we learned about peace. We said that peace is the calm assurance that God is at work and present in our lives. These words have been sort of signposts for us leading to this very moment when we light the Christ candle and celebrate the arrival of Jesus. But can I tell you something? Those words in and of themselves, if we end there and just go home, that's not good news. Because those words have to be wrapped up in something. Those words, if they stand alone, are fragile. That peace and that joy, they depend on something. And they depend on the arrival of Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you something, Westside. Peace is not a place. Peace is not a position. Peace is not about our possessions. But peace is a person. And that person's name is Jesus Joy is a person. Hope is a person. Love is a person. So I want to read this birth account to you tonight. And just for a moment, please, amidst the hustle and bustle, if your family is anything like mine, it's already started or started on Thursday and you kind of start making the parades and you go around and you're opening presents. But for just a moment, could we pause Because you see, here at Westside, we believe that God wrote a book. That the God who created the cosmos actually wrote a book. And when we read these words, we are hearing the very word of God. So Westside, open up your ears and listen to these words. Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man 
and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And then John's gospel reads this way, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, not anything that was made was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What are the implications of these words? That the author of life would write himself into the story. We just sang it. Very God from God, very light from light, would humble himself and put on human flesh. What are the implications of the name, of the word Emmanuel? God with us. What does that mean that God, rather than saying, make your way to me, has said, I'm coming for you? Maybe this illustration will help, and I just want to share this story with you tonight. Um, there's a man by the name of Robert Caro. Robert Caro is one of my favorite historians. Um, his very first book, the first book that he wrote, became a Pulitzer Prize winning book. He is a world-renowned historian. And Robert Caro is very famous for writing a four-volume series of books on the 36th president of the United States, Lyndon Johnson. And I know what you're saying. Pastor Jason, do you own those books? Why, yes, I do. They are right here. I am so glad that you asked. Right here, ladies and gentlemen, four volumes 3,000 words, uh, I'm sorry, 3,000 pages, including footnotes. It's over a million words, and he still has a fifth book to write. And please pray for him. He's like 88 years old. And so I pray every once in a while, God, please spare Robert Caro because I need to read the fifth book, right? So he is known as being one of the most precise journalists in all of the world. 
that he digs deep, that he has read, it's rumored that he has read every piece of paper that Lyndon Johnson ever touched or wrote during his presidency. But as Robert Caro was writing the first book, he ran into a little bit of trouble. You see, President Lyndon Johnson is from the hill country in Texas. I mean, where there is nothing but cattle and fences and cattle and fences. And then you go down a few more miles and you take a left and there's more cattle and there's more fences, okay? And so as he was going down talking to waiters and waitresses and President Lyndon Johnson's principles and everything like that, he was met with a real cold, distant attitude from everybody. And, and as he was gathering all of this information like Robert Caro does, he started to realize... And I'm not getting any new information. This is the same stuff that's been in any sort of Lyndon Johnson biography. And he goes on and says these words in his autobiography. I found the interviews unexpectedly difficult. Very difficult, in fact. You see, some of the people who have known Lyndon lived on isolated ranches or farms. I would drive some 60 or 70 miles on a highway and then I would look for a cattle guard on the left and turn on that unpaved road and I would drive on gravel for 15 to 20 miles and at the end of the gravel road would be a single house, the only one for miles. I would go into the home, they would be very resistant. They wouldn't volunteer any new information and then the meetings would be over. One day, he was in a local diner there in the town that Lyndon Johnson's from, and he asked the waitress about Lyndon, and they began to have a conversation, and then the waitress laughed. And she said, well, the reason why people don't really care much for your kind around here is that you're one of those portable journalists. You see, every few years, these journalists come into town and they cause a ruckus and they want to get deep information or gossip about President Lyndon Johnson. And we really don't care about that. We're just trying to live our life here. So as he got in the car and began to drive home, he was thinking. He got to his house and then records these words. He says to his wife, Ina, I'm not understanding these people, and therefore I'm not understanding President Lyndon Johnson. Ina, we are going to have to move to the hill country and live there. And Ina said, oh babe, why can't you do a biography on Napoleon or something like that? But Ina, always Ina, loyal and true, she said, as she always says, sure. So we rented a house on the edge of the hill country there in Texas where I lived for the next five years studying President Lyndon Johnson. He said it really took about two years for people to really believe that he had moved there and was paying taxes and now a contributing citizen of the town. Then he said after the two years, he would go to the same people's home. He would sit on their couch, drink a cup of coffee, and eat a slice of apple pie. And then 
they began to share stories. Then they began to say, oh, have you ever heard this about Lyndon? Oh, you need to put this in your book. And then Robert Caro in his biography, don't miss this, says this. I realized I had to earn their trust. And years later, he would be in an interview with David Letterman and say these words. You see, there is no substitute for going there yourself. Oh, please don't miss this. What does this have to do with tonight? Well, let's read John chapter 1 in a different translation and see if you can connect the dots. Eugene Peterson says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And then we saw with our eyes the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Westside, what does that have to do with Advent? And what does that have to do with Christmas? You see, please listen to me. Every other religion in the world says you have to do this, you have to do this, and then maybe you can know God in the end. Just maybe, but you need to do these good deeds and travel to this holy place and do these five things, and then maybe you can work your way up to God. And then in the Old Testament, when God was going to meet with his people. And he said, I'm going to come to Israel, prepare the people. The people said this, don't have God come because we'll die in his presence. Moses, you go up on the mountain because we're afraid to see God. And then through the prophets and the thousands of years later, the God of the Bible writes himself into the story. Westside, here's what I'm trying to say to you tonight. What are the implications about Emmanuel? The first one is this. God has not abandoned us. Listen, I don't know how lonely you feel or how heartbroken you feel this time of year, but I am here to declare to you by the power of the Holy Spirit upon the authority of God's word that God has not left you alone, that he has not abandoned us. The second thing is this, that God is not ashamed of us, that God would come here to earth and involve himself in our messy lives. Listen, can we just be honest tonight here at the candlelight service? We know what it's like in a small town, just like that small town with Lyndon Johnson. Everybody knows your last name, and maybe you struggled with addiction, and maybe you went through the divorce, and maybe you struggled with this, and every time everybody sees you and you look into their eyes, you feel like that you see disappointment and shame in them. And then you go to the Bible, and it's so daunting, and it's so big, and all you do is hold your head in shame and think, God is so disappointed in me. Listen, I'm here to tell you tonight that God is not ashamed of you, but God literally moved heaven and earth and came in the form of a human being just to pursue you. God's not abandoned us. He's not ashamed of us. And God is not apathetic towards us. Some of us think that God saved us and then it's just kind of like, meh, meh, you know, I'm not, you know, God saved me, but I don't really think God likes me. No, 
when we look at the incarnation, when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the cross and the empty tomb, we see that God is love. Not only that, but then this tells us this, that God is available that God is available. Listen, tonight, Westside, when we are praying, or tomorrow, right before you open the presents as a family, and maybe you read that Christmas story, and you pray before you open those presents, Westside, I'm here to declare to you tonight that we pray to a God that hears us. God hears our prayers, and he moves in our life. And the last thing is this, that God... God is approachable now in the form of Jesus Christ that we don't have to do this and not do this and then the scales will maybe balance themselves out at the end. Oh no, this message is one-sided and it's this, that God, the God of heaven has chased you down and he's found you right where you're at. Listen, this is actually the story of the entire Bible. Emmanuel, God with us. You can summarize the entire Bible like this. God for us, God with us, God in us, and God through us. This is the good news of Emmanuel. So in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to light these candles as the band comes and leads us in a time of response. But if I could just be so bold tonight... That maybe for some of you, and listen, I get it, maybe you're not big on the church thing and you just came with just family or this, that, and the other, but for the first time ever tonight, you have understood that God has chased you down, that God loves you, that God is not ashamed of you. What do you do with this news? It's very simple. There's one word, and our culture thinks it's a dirty word, but it's called repentance. And listen, here's what repentance means. It means to turn the other direction. So tonight, listen, tonight as you hear the God of the Bible who fully knows you and fully loves you, and you're asking, how do I respond to this news? Please listen to me, Westside. We are not promised tomorrow. Nobody in this room is exempt from your phone ringing and entirely changing Christmas forever in your family forever. And so the, the question is, what will you do with the message here and now? And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask you, if you've never prayed and just cried out to God and said, God, I'm all in. I've heard the message and I understand it. If it's true, if that message is true, then I'm going to end this year with cashing all my chips in the center of the table. So right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Heavenly Father, we come before you in this place. And God, I know in my bones that there is somebody in this room who has heard this message for the first time Oh, Holy Spirit, right now, would you move in a very miraculous way? And right now, if you're that individual with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you say, you know what, Pastor? I want this Christmas to be different. I really want the gift of eternal life. If God is who you say He is in that book, then I've heard it for the first time tonight. And pastor, I'm going all in. 
If you want to make that decision tonight with just every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just shoot up your hand right where you're at and just raise your hand? I see you. Praise God, I see you. Yes. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. You can put your hand, and with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you raised your hand, would you just simply, to yourself right now, repeat these words. This isn't magic. These words don't save you. Jesus saves you. The grave is empty and the throne is occupied. There is no magic in these words. It's just to help you in the moment. Just say these words quietly to yourself, in your soul and in your spirit. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, we thank you so much for tonight and for the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. God, tonight, hands were raised and the ultimate gift of eternal life was granted. And what your word tells us is that heaven, all of heaven celebrates when one sinner repents and comes home. So God, may we celebrate as a freed people in here tonight to know that you've moved to us, that you haven't abandoned us, that you're not apathetic towards us, and that now you are available towards us. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name. Amen. Westside, would you stand to your feet? And if you would, twist the top of your candle so that light shines. And look at the light fill the chapel. Because Westside, don't miss this. No matter how much death, no matter how much decay, no matter how much sickness, no matter riots, no matter a pandemic, no matter what else is going on in the world, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Westside, let us worship tonight with our candles raised. Amen.